If you got your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to go to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to backtrack up here into Matthew chapter 1, the Christmas story. And uh, take a peek at it this morning. In fact, what we're going to do is look at some of the, the verses from our reading this week. And uh, from our Advent reading. And so... I'm going to get the guys back there just to click the computer because I can't take it going in behind me like that. (laughs) Right on. And so um, we're going to hit a lot of scripture this morning, but what we're going to do is the passages will come up on the screen in behind here too. But uh, man, if you really got your own Bible, I, I hope that you'll find this an interesting study on uh, the birth of Jesus. And so, hey, let's, uh, let's pray as we um, come, come to God's word. Lord, we just come before you right now. We come um, before your word and we just wanna ask your blessing upon this time, Jesus. We pray that we would just grow in our insight and our understanding of, of who you are, of the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray this morning uh, that your spirit would just truly anoint this time, Lord, that, um, that we would grow in our, our comprehension of you, Jesus, that we would grow in our heart understanding of you, Jesus, that your spirit would uh, just cause the word of God to come alive to our hearts. And so, Lord, we just uh, ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, uh, we missed you guys last week. I, I took Eli, we, uh, we went up to, we had the chance to go away uh, for a hockey tournament in Princeton, and I don't get the opportunity to do that very often with my boy, so I thought, I'm doing it. And uh, we went up there, um, traveled with some other families, and it was snowy like this for three days. I think it topped out on my truck at minus 17, and... Uh, <laughs> It was lots of fun. And then I went to church on Sunday morning uh, at Princeton Baptist Church. Uh, great little church. About this many people there. And a buddy of mine was there that I grew up with here locally in Gibson's, Jamie Heron. Some of you guys might know Jamie. And Jamie's an RCMP officer. So we hung out all weekend up there with them. And then uh, lo and behold, Carolyn Mortensen from the Sunshine Coast was at church on Sunday morning in Princeton too. So it was kind of fun. It was a nice time away. And uh, we braved the roads. And uh, they had a little kids' Christmas concert during their church service. It was great. So we missed you guys, but it's good to be back this morning. Hey, we're going to dive right into this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. We read it this morning already. But I'm going to read it to you again here, and we'll just start to get our hearts around this story. It says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew's gospel tells us this narrative of Jesus' birth, really from Joseph's point of view. Um, Luke's gospel gives us more uh, Mary's side of the story. Uh, We know that Mary was uh, the birth mother of Jesus, and she's betrothed to Joseph. Now, this idea of betrothal in the scripture is kind of interesting. It's, It's the concept of biblical betrothal is kind of Um, almost synonymous with our idea of of marriage, and it was just as binding. Betrothal was a mutual contract between um, a man and a woman for a future marriage. And so here's how it worked. It's kind of similar to our modern engagement, but really closer to to marriage uh, than our idea of engagement. So before the marriage actually took place, what would happen is, is they would be betrothed to one another, a friend or an agent representing the man would strike a deal with uh, the bride's parents and it would be confirmed by oaths. There would be gifts exchanged and a Jewish betrothal could only be dissolved through, well, it was complicated. It was actually complicated. It actually required a divorce. Uh, The man had to get that happening and so it was a serious matter to enter into this, this relationship and exchange the oaths and all that thing, all those things. And typically a betrothal kind of lasted for about a year. And during that time, the couple were actually known as husband and wife. They didn't live under the same roof. They weren't uh, sexually intimate. They hadn't consummated the marriage. And in fact, under the law of Moses from Deuteronomy, chapter 22, during a betrothal, if it was disrupted by, let's say, adultery or a rape or fornication or incest, the deal was by the law was death by stoning. So even though this is not full-on marriage, it is like right there in the eyes of the law. And so Mary and Joseph were betrothed. They hadn't been united sexually. They hadn't consummated a marriage. They weren't living under the same Uh, roof. They weren't doing so until their wedding day. But before the wedding day, we read here, we know the story, the Christmas story, that Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now you got to excuse me this morning because I have a runny nose. (laughs) She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And the scripture tells us that Mary was a virgin. And the Bible, like it's kind of amazing sometimes when you read the scripture, right? It's just a simple story It's straight up, it's direct, and the Bible story kind of puts you in a spot that it does this. It either demands that you just simply accept what the scripture says, or that you simply reject it. And the Bible says that Mary was a virgin, and that which was conceived in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And when she was found to be with child during the betrothal, Joseph decided this. He's like, oh, I mean, he... he, get into this guy's head a bit. The, the woman that he loved, is, his future is on the line here, the whole, the whole deal. And so Joseph decided that he would quietly 
uh, divorce her. And so it was then in a dream from God that what appeared to Joseph on a physical level to be unfaithfulness to him was explained by an angel that this was a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And this miracle, as we know, as Christians, really gives evidence. The fact that Jesus was born of a virgin gives evidence to his divine nature that he is uniquely human and uniquely divine, son of God and son of man at the same time, Jesus Christ. This morning, what I want to do is this. There's two prophecies in this text, and I want to look specifically at the two prophecies surrounding uh, his birth. The first prophecy was spoken by the angel. As Matthew counts it here. And the angel says this to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The second prophecy that Matthew recounts is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Who read that one this morning? That was the first one. That was Shona read that to us, which says this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the prophecy of Isaiah is a prophecy that comes from the past. It's seven, spoken 700 years before the time of, of Jesus. It's a prophecy of hope. It's a prophecy, a word uh, from the Lord that looked forward uh, to a future time with a, with a word of hope. It, it looked out on the current time of Isaiah and the things that were happening in his day. And as it looked out, it looked up to God and then looked back out to the future and said, God has hope for the future. One day, Emmanuel will come. God will be with us. That's the prophecy of Isaiah. But the prophecy that the angel spoke to Joseph was not a future word of hope, but it was a prophetic word of realization that the time is now, that the time is upon us, that today is the day essentially of fulfillment. And so different from the prophecy of Isaiah that, that looked forward in hope, the prophecy of the angel said hope is about to be fulfilled. And so, uh, yeah, this idea that, that all, of, all of the desire and the expectation, morning, Corfields, you guys made it. <laughs> we had some candle lighters and people stepped up. We missed you guys. So it's glad, I'm glad you're here. Uh, all, the, all the expectation and the desire of the people for the Messiah, for God uh, to be with them is about to be answered. Jesus is going to be born. Angel says he's going to save his people from their sins. Jesus is going to be the answer, the realization, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He's going to fulfill the prophecy from the past, Emmanuel, God with us. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, uh, this morning, just look at these two prophecies, and we're going to look at them in the order that they came. Isaiah's first. And first we'll look at Isaiah's prophecy of hope, and then we'll consider the words of the angel, okay, as realization and fulfillment. And Matthew recounts, as he recounts both prophecies, he, he tells the angel first and then Isaiah. We're going to flip the order, and we're going to start with the word of hope. And it's interesting that in regards to both of these prophecies, this is why they jumped out to me, is that word behold that we've seen in Matthew's gospel. Uh, all throughout, that Matthew, as he shares these things, he first says, behold, you've got to stop and consider what I'm telling you. 
You got you to put a little bit of effort into observing what's being said. And so let's consider them. I'm going to get you to, in your Bibles to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Hey, Darcy, can I get you to just flick the fan off, man? Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. And we're going to look at a number of scriptures this morning. And they'll be up on the screen as well. Uh, in Matthew, it says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the one that Shona read this morning. And uh, what I want to do is read verses 14 through 16 this morning again. And so, Calvin, you can pop those up on the screen. It says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey. And when he knows how to refuse evil and choose good, he shall eat curds and honey. And when he knows how to, sorry, and honey, when he knows how to refuse the evil and to choose the good. For the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good. Sorry. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So what's the connection? How do we move from Isaiah 700 years earlier to Matthew connecting and saying, this is speaking of Jesus? How do we get there? How does he just randomly pull one verse out of Isaiah chapter 7 and say, this applies to Emmanuel? This, this is, what's, what's the deal here? So what's the connection? So I want to just zoom us out this morning and get the context of what is going on in Isaiah's story that he speaks this word of prophecy and that allows Matthew to take it 700 years later and say, this applies to Jesus. This is how it fits. This is how it works. So here's the history. As Isaiah is speaking in Isaiah chapter 7, he speaks this word of prophecy to a king named King Ahaz. Ahaz is the king of Judah. So we're just going to talk about some history this morning. It's kind of interesting. Here's the history. You know it. Solomon. Solomon's the king over the nation of Israel, David's son. And Solomon, due to his hundreds of wives and concubines, had an idolatrous heart. He, he was led astray in the later days of his life. And so word was brought to him that God was going to divide the kingdom, that it would be split that 10 tribes would go one direction and two tribes would stay loyal to the house of David. And so that's what happened. Under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the tribes split. 10 became the northern kingdom. They were called Israel. The two tribes of Judah and Levi became what was known as the southern kingdom and they were called Judah. And so that's where we read there's always two kings going on. First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Samuel. We're reading these stories and we're going, "What's going on here?" There's two kingdoms, but they're really Israel. And so Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, was led by a king, and the southern kingdom was led at this time by King Ahaz. And here's what was going on for Ahaz: His throne was in Jerusalem, and what had happened for him was this: that, well, typically. The northern kings, the kings of Israel, were kind of evil guys. They were idolatrous guys. And generally, the kings to the south were God-fearing kings. They were good kings in the pattern of David, but not Ahaz. 
Ahaz did not come in the pattern of David. He had a godly father, as we're going to see later on, but Ahaz was evil. The scripture said that he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. It says the scripture tells us that he, he walked in the ways of the king, kings of Israel and he was so wicked to this point that Ahaz even burned his own son in a fire as a sacrifice to the idolatrous gods of the people really who God had driven out, the Canaanites prior to Israel. And so he was an evil king and he's the southern king. He's ruling in Jerusalem now, to the north in Israel was another, the, the, the Israeli king was a guy by the name of Pekah. And here's the deal with Pekah. Pekah had joined forces. Interesting. It's kind of interesting when you just kind of consider the geography of our world right now. He had joined forces with the Syrian king, a man by the name of Rezin. And together, Pekah and Rezin had formed an army and they decided they were going to come and they were going to attack the southern kingdom. So Israel with Syria is going to attack Judah. They're going to attack the city of Jerusalem. And so the enemy forces were rallying. And naturally, Ahaz, panic begins to set in his heart. He begins to freak out. The enemy's coming. And he was not a God-fearing man. And so Isaiah the prophet comes to him and he says this, Ahaz, God's got it, man. You don't need to be afraid. There is no need to panic. God has got Jerusalem in this situation. But 2 Kings chapter 16 tells us that Ahaz was not God-fearing. So what he did was he sent messengers to another king, to the kingdom of Assyria, and he asked that they come and help him and save him from Israel and from Syria. Didn't seek the Lord. Ahaz sought human help. He did not seek the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, but he sought a human king. He sought the help of Assyria's armies. And so in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah says, you don't have to do that, Ahaz. You don't have to go to a human king. And he begins to appeal to Ahaz and he says, you need to trust God, Ahaz. Ask God for a sign. Why don't you ask God for a sign? Because God is going to save you. And so let's read this again. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 through 14. It says this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men? That you, also, that you weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so the prophet Isaiah appeals to Ahaz. Just ask God for a sign. Anything, man. As deep as the depths of hell to the height of heaven, you ask God anything and he'll do it to prove that he's going to save you in this situation. But Ahaz says, I won't ask God. Uh, essentially, he was doing this. He was refusing because he was not a God-fearing man. Refusing to trust God. And so Isaiah says, if you won't ask God for a sign, then God will give you a sign. The virgin will give birth. And she'll bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. 
Emmanuel. We sang it this morning. You know what it means, right? God with us. God with us. It's interesting that the name Emmanuel never appears in the scriptures ever before Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah's a really neat book. Some people call Isaiah the fifth gospel. Fun facts about Isaiah, ready? How many books in the Bible? 66. How many chapters in the book of Isaiah? 66. Isaiah's divided into two parts. It mirrors the Old Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books. The first half of Isaiah, chapter 1 through 39, form the first half of it. It's a real division at chapter 40. The second half, how many books in the New Testament? Do the math. <laughs> it's 27, right? Is that what it is? 27. 27 books in the New Testament, 27 books in the second half of Isaiah. It's called the fifth gospel because it so proclaims Christ and so proclaims his coming. And so... The, the name Emmanuel, that phrase that means God with us, never appeared in the Bible before Isaiah chapter 7. It appears once more in Isaiah chapter 8, and then it's never repeated in the scripture again until Matthew chapter 1, when the angel announces to Joseph that the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. I'll wipe my nose. God with us conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, I have, to, I have to say this about Emmanuel. I was just thinking about Jesus as God with us. And, and here's the truth. No matter how simply I bust it down this morning or we try to just digest the scripture, the truth is, is that you will not comprehend Emmanuel you will not comprehend who Emmanuel is unless the Holy Spirit brings light to that in your life. Think about this. How was Emmanuel conceived in the womb of Mary? By the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has to bring a revelation, a, a conception of sorts, into the heart of every individual to reveal who Christ is. To bring a revelation of who he is. But that does happen as the word of God is taught. And to get a better sense of who Emmanuel is this morning, I, I, I want to zoom out because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God. And I want us to see the greater context of Isaiah's story, okay? Kind of just a little bit different this morning. I want us to look right from Isaiah 6 through 9. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just give a synopsis right through of all these different chapters because uh, where... Emmanuel is mentioned for the first time here. It's not accidental. Something is happening in Isaiah's story and in the history of Israel that it's mentioned at this point in time. And so uh, what we're going to do is just, yeah, 6, chapter 6, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, Isaiah 9. Really fast. Okay, ready? So if you got your Bible, go to Isaiah 6. I know you're right there. Isaiah 6, a very famous chapter in the, in the scriptures. Because it's the story of Isaiah's vision of the throne of God. In fact, um, if you weren't here with us in the spring when we did our Love Incorruptible conference, we had John Wang here on Friday night out in Seashell. John Wang spoke from Isaiah 6, an incredible message about Jesus. It was freaking awesome. I don't know what else to say. It's on our website. You can go back to, to April and listen to it. Isaiah 6 recounts, I'm going to go there in my own Bible, recounts the vision 
of Isaiah as he sees the throne. Here's the background. Isaiah saw Jesus on his throne in heaven. And what had preceded the vision was that the scripture tells us that it says, in the year King Uzziah died. Now we got an evil king on the throne of Judah named Ahaz. His father's name was Uzziah. And Uzziah was very godly, God-fearing in the pattern of David. And so it was tragic. Isaiah's doing his ministry and there's a godly king and the godly king dies. And Isaiah can see the writing on the wall. Uh-oh, his son's coming to power. He doesn't fear God. And so Isaiah's freaking out. And the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord gives him a vision and the Lord says, let me show you who truly sits on the throne. You're worried about Uzziah and you're worried about Ahaz. Let me show you who sits on the throne of the universe. And Isaiah has this vision of Jesus. And from the throne, Jesus commands and an angel, a seraphim comes and takes burning coals and touches Isaiah's lips. And he anoints Isaiah to be a messenger to Judah, to all of Israel. You're going to be my messenger and so Isaiah has this vision. He sees who is the king of kings? Who is the Lord of lords? Who is it? It's Jesus. He sees Jesus. And in this vision, he's consecrated, he's anointed. And, he, and the Lord says from the throne, you're going to be my messenger. Whom shall I send? And he says, here am I, send me. God anoints him. And so then we come to Isaiah chapter 7. Now Ahaz is on the throne. Who's the messenger from God? It's Isaiah. Ahaz is on the throne. There's two kings coming against him in Jerusalem. The king of Israel and the king of Syria. They're threatening Jerusalem. And Ahaz wants to call on the strength of men. He wants another army to come and save him. Another nation, a human army to help him. And then the prophet Isaiah urges him and he says, don't do it. You don't need to trust in men. You need to trust in God. And Isaiah prophesies, God is with us. Emmanuel the virgin's miraculous birth is going to happen. And this, this prophecy that Isaiah speaks merges into something that's, that's just bigger than the context of their day, but it encompasses all of God's salvation story. Capsulates all of the history of God's salvation story. Emmanuel, God with us. And Isaiah says, he's going to come. He's going to eat curds and honey, which means this, he'll be born in circumstances of poverty and there'll be trouble. And so there's this prophecy, God is going to come and save us. Then we go to Isaiah chapter eight and Isaiah speaks. If you, you flip there in your Bibles, you'll see even the title of it. It's probably called the coming of the Assyrian invasion. Let's read it. Verses five through eight. It says this, pop it up on the screen. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remaliah, therefore behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over the channels and go over all its banks and it will sweep on into Judah and it will overflow and pass on reaching even to the neck and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. The only other time that name Emmanuel is mentioned. So Isaiah prophesies. 
God's going to save us in this instance. He's going to save you from Israel and he's going to save you from Syria. But there's something else coming after all that. The Assyrians are going to come. They're going to sweep through Israel. They're going to take that northern kingdom. Then they're going to come down to the southern kingdom and they're going to fill the breadth of Emmanuel's land. They're going to fill the land of Israel. Desolation's coming. Through Israel to the north and to Judah in the south, Assyria. And Isaiah spoke of the land as the land of Emmanuel. But though Assyria come, Isaiah said this in verses 9 through 10. Check it out. Isaiah 8, 9 through 10. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Emmanuel. And Isaiah implored the people. The chapter goes on. I encourage you to go home and read it. He, he implored them, fear God. In your life, fear God. In your life, wait for the Lord to come and to save you. The foe will be defeated and Emmanuel will be with his people. Emmanuel will be with Israel. And so we, we move through these chapters really fast. Isaiah 6, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8. I encourage you to go home and read them and end chapter 9. And... Uh, we go through them quickly, but as we read them, we, we see this revelation of the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. It's like, it's like growing. First, Isaiah sees him on his throne. Then in the midst of trouble, he announces that he's, that king that was on the throne is actually going to come and be God with us. He's going to come in the flesh. And then when the, the land will belong to him and he will save the people who is this Emmanuel? Well, Isaiah 8.14 says that he is a sanctuary and he's a stone of offense. A stumbling stone and a place of refuge for those who will go to him. And then Isaiah 9, which tells us about his birth. Check it out. Isaiah 9, 6-7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. From the time that Isaiah spoke those words, Seven centuries passed before the angel appeared in a dream to Joseph. And he told him, the time of fulfillment of hope is here. The time for the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah is come. The, the Holy Spirit has overshadowed your wife-to-be. That which is conceived in her is from God. And these prophecies of Isaiah declare and express the, the, the hope that God would presence himself with his people in actual human flesh through a natural process that all of us have gone through, birth. God would come and manifest himself to his creation. And Isaiah prophesied this about his character. He said, he's a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God, everlasting father, 
Prince of Peace, all revealed in this child. Emmanuel will come. He will come into the midst of his people's humiliation and their trouble. And he will share in their struggles. And in the midst of it, he will be a sanctuary for those who will take refuge in him. In the midst of that, those who refuse him, he'll he'll be a stone of stumbling for them. And he will conquer the enemies of God. And there in the hills of Galilee, little backwoods town called Nazareth, the prophecies of Isaiah and, and the hope of the people was realized in the womb of a virgin girl. The angel told Mary, Luke, Luke chapter 1 says that she believed God. And she sang that song that's called the Magnificat. She worshiped God. The, the angel appeared to Joseph and announced it in a dream and he heard it and he believed. His birth was announced to the shepherds and they rushed to see the thing that was declared to them. You know, I think of the early disciples. They heard the message, they believed it, they proclaimed it. It became the driving force of their life. Emmanuel, the great hope, Jesus, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. So in your Bibles, jump with me back to Matthew chapter 1. And let's look at the second prophecy given by the angel to Joseph, which says this, verse 23. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a just man. He he was not the father of Jesus by birth, but by adoption. He raised him as his own. And the scripture says that he was just, which means this, that he was true, that he was straight. (laughs) He was a straight man. That means something else in our culture. (laughs) It means that he was a man of character. I think of like a, you know, he's a carpenter, a carpenter's ruler. He was a straight, straight man. Not severe, not cold, not cynical. He was a man's man, a true man, a village carpenter. You know, it's been said this, a good man is a man of a simple heart. And that was Joseph. Not hard, not cold, righteous, just. Mary, his betrothed, love of his life, current, future love of his life, was a simple godly girl. I mean, you, you, you look at Mary and Joseph and you consider them in the story and you, got, you just got two simple villagers, part of a royal line, you know. It was in Princeton last week. It was raging population of 2,700, which was like a metropolis compared to where these two come from in Nazareth. It's a little town, little village. And we imagine, and rightly so, that they, that they loved one another, that they were excited about their future together that the prospect of marriage was exciting. I mean, Mary and Joseph are like the ultimate small town love story. And in the midst of all that, during their betrothal, a, a holy mystery happens. The touch of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, 
the work of the Holy Spirit that took a simple life and made it unique, exalted it kind of for forever. Mary, unique in history, never repeated again. The virgin conceives. And the angel came and to Joseph and announced, you shall call this child's name, the son, Jesus. We know this. Jesus is the Greek version of his name. English is, anybody? What's the English of Jesus? Joshua, that's right. The Hebrew is Yeshua. And just in our culture, and our language, we've adopted the Greek, Jesus. You know, Jewish people say Yeshua when they speak of Jesus. Yeshua. It's a very ordinary name. You know, pick the most common name. In our church, it's like Andy or Andrew. <laughs> Andy's shaking. Manovich is shaking his head back there. You pick the most ordinary, common, common of name of today, and that's what Joshua was. Yeshua, Jesus. Totally ordinary. Um, it wasn't a significant name. It wasn't significant. You know, when we say the name of Jesus and everything that it means to us, it didn't carry that weight. You know, to us this morning, there's, there's that name. You know, there's no other greater name than the name of Jesus, right? Amen. I mean, is there a name more lovely? Is there a name more wonderful? Is there a name more powerful? Is there a name that brings more joy or more hope than the name of Jesus? There's no other name. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. And I think all the, all the wells and all the fountains of life from which we go and we seek drink and we seek, seek satisfaction, there is nothing like the living water that comes from the well that Jesus provides. His name is Jesus. Name him Jesus. That means Jehovah is salvation or Jehovah saves. And the angel said, give that boy that name because he will save his people from their sins. Give him that name. Give him that name that is ultimately above every other name. The name that at which heaven and earth and everything under the earth bows to. The name of Jesus. Give him that name. Every tongue will confess it and every knee will bow to it. How sweet is that name, right? The, the name of Jesus. And the angel says he'll, he'll save his people from their sin. He, he will come, Emmanuel, God with us, clothed in human flesh to be identified with us. And his intention is this. He's going to save. He's going to save us. To save a people oppressed under the yoke of slavery. We know this. Israel wanted a savior. They wanted their Joshua who would lead them like after the time of Moses. They wanted a savior. And, and what they wanted, they wanted was a savior who would reveal himself to Jerusalem as their king and just break the power of Rome and start a new kingdom. But the angel revealed his true mission. The deepest trouble in the heart of mankind was not the yoke of Rome, it was the trouble of sin the yoke of slavery to sin, that they were sinners. And the angel said, he will save his people from their sins. And the words of the angel foreshadow the cross for us. That's the way. That's the way Jesus saved his people from their sins through the cross. 
And in a very real sense, the, the giving of the name Jesus, give him the name Jesus, it's a prophecy from the angel. Call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from his sins. And we follow the story all the way through the Gospels and we see him grow and 30 years later give his life on the cross and Paul sums it up for us in Philippians chapter two. He says this, it's coming up on the screen. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the king came. He came. And today, you know, we have the privilege a couple thousand years later to stand back over the centuries and and look back and examine the scripture and see the merging between Old Testament and New, see the merging between the prophecies of Isaiah and the, the writings of the apostles. The hope of Emmanuel and the realization of his coming in the person of Jesus, God with us. God born of a virgin in human form in the person of his son Jesus born into the humiliation of man, born with man under the yoke of slavery to sin, and yet he sets us free, God through his son, saving us from sin. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't the Christmas story awesome? Like, I just, I just love it. And you know, I, I think about this, this text, and I want to leave you with this, just this simple application this morning. Look around here. We're all, we're all regulars here this morning. <laughs> to me, as I was just studying this, the warning in this passage was Ahaz. Ahaz, to me, was the warning. And I want to just leave us with this. At this Christmas season, you know, whatever threats we feel spiritually real, whatever it is, the truth is this. For us who have put our hope in Emmanuel, God with us, the pattern of our lives is to be this. We're to fear God. We're to live lives in fear of God. We're to, we're to wait for the Lord. And whatever foe you're facing, whatever it is, the truth is this. When God is for you, who can be against you? Emmanuel, God with us. The foe will be defeated because God is with us. That's the hope of the Christmas story. The hope of salvation from sin the hope of freedom from the yoke of slavery to sin. And it happens uh, through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, this Christmas season, make room for Jesus all the time in your home and in your heart. Say, Emmanuel, I need you. I need your presence in my heart and in my life. Deliver me, lead me, fill me with the hope of the gospel. Amen. Let's, let's pray. This morning, would you stand with me? Invite the worship team to come. King Jesus, this morning, as we just consider your story, 
As we consider the promise of your coming, we thank you that it was realized 2,000 years ago. And we thank you, Jesus, that just as you are Emmanuel 2,000 years ago, you, so you are Emmanuel today. You, you've promised, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And so, Jesus, this morning, we, uh, we just uh, declare our trust in you. We speak from our lips the fact that we put our hope in you. Uh, we need you, Jesus. We pray, God, that you would make us people who fear you. I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that we would be a people who hope in you, a people who wait for you. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas season, this time when we celebrate your birth. And all around us, people are celebrating all sorts of different things. But for us who, who want to live for you, Lord, this, this season represents something very powerful. You're coming. And so, Jesus, just as you, you came 2,000 years ago, so we just invite you to come and fill our lives. Come and fill our hearts with your presence. We pray that your spirit would just increasingly reveal your character and your nature and your salvation power, your saving power. Jesus, this morning, we thank you for saving us from our sins. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your resurrection we thank you that when we put our trust in you, when we put our faith in the work of the cross, we experience the truth of freedom from slavery to sin, forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you are Emmanuel. And this morning we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.